on the mountain, in the valley, in the crowded streets, or the empty desert, in our hope, and in our waiting, we are never alone. What a thing to celebrate. God is with us. Emmanuel. This is a prophecy that Isaiah gave us, and Jesus was the fulfillment of that prophecy. In fact, uh, we've been on that topic now. This is the second week, and we're going to be in it all the way through Christmas. And last week was God is with us in the valleys. Why don't we start somewhere more fun, you know, like on the mountaintops? But that's kind of the point. This season often just kind of brings the pressure of having mountaintop feelings and joy to the world and ho, 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 and yes, it's so great, and yet some people are really, really struggling. And so today the topic is God with us in the wilderness. So God with us, yes, he's with us in the mountaintops, and we enjoy God when we're experiencing mountaintop experiences, but we kind of get to know him while in the valleys, and then we're discovering today that in the wilderness, it's even tougher still as we get to know him through difficult stuff. Now, our anchor verse for all of four of these episodes together is found in Matthew. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So this is what Christmas is all about. I know there's a lot of other things that we like to think that it's all about, but this is what is exciting to me. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. The big theological term, he was incarnated. God is with us in the flesh of Jesus. He came as a baby. Now, that's mind-blowing. <clears throat> and for some people, they can never go there. A virgin birth? Are you kidding me? Well, if God can create the whole universe out of nothing by speaking it into existence, a virgin birth is pretty easy stuff. All right. So that's kind of the big anchor verse. We're getting into God is with us in the wilderness. Wilderness ends up being a metaphor throughout Scripture, even as it's describing reality. Let me see if I can explain. So God has this salvation plan that unfolds throughout history. He chooses one individual, Abraham, and he promises to him he's going to make out of him a mighty nation. He says in advance that his descendants will for 400 years be enslaved in Egypt. How'd you like to sign up for that exciting news? But that's the future still. And then he's going to make a nation out of them. Right after that 400 years, it's like the mountaintop. God reveals his power, his hand. He's bigger than any of the Egyptian gods. The Egyptian gods are nothing compared to him. And they're entering out of their deliverance. The chains are gone. They're set free and they follow God into the wilderness. Now, they're heading to the promised land. So this kind of becomes a metaphor for all of us because once Jesus came, if you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, your chains have been broken, your slavery to sin is broken, you can follow him into, interestingly enough, the wilderness 
while we're heading to our promised land, which is heaven, where there are no more tears, no more sorrow, etc. So there's this parallel and this metaphor that's going on. We're going to be jumping with this theme back and forth around in that history as the wilderness theme is developed in that historical framework. So we're going to look at the wilderness, the nation in the wilderness right after the Exodus event. We're then going to jump ahead to Elijah, one of the prophets who experiences a wilderness experience. And we're going to jump even to Jesus. And I won't tell you which order. We'll get there one way or the other. All right? Because Jesus also has a wilderness experience. So our focus for today is this. We are trained by him in the wilderness. So we enjoy God on the mountaintops, yet we learn about him in the valleys. Now we enter into training. It's a difficult, strenuous kind of training in the wilderness. And we're going to see this unfold. Now, before we go into the scripture narrative and some of the pieces of this as we apply it to our lives, there's no doubt in my mind because I know some of you, that we are in the wilderness. Some of us are right in the wilderness right now. I mean, literally, what is the wilderness? Okay, I grew up in California, at least many of the years, and so when I thought wilderness, I thought backpacking, and I thought Sierras, and I thought beauty, and wow, it's fun, because I picture the alpine trees and the lakes that are just beautiful, and the meadows, it's like gardens that gardeners don't have to keep. It's like fantastic. Yes. Take me to the wilderness. Okay. I don't know if you're from California. All right. Let's Colorado then or wherever. If that's what you're thinking is wilderness, the alpine beauty, strike that from your mind. We're not talking about that kind of wilderness. We're talking about desert, death, not anything there to sustain life. You just can't make it out there. There's no water and it's just a dangerous, hostile setting. Now, add to that the spiritual element where you feel like you're in the wilderness. Now we're looking at it more metaphorically. You're parched. You're dry. Spiritually, there's just, you're shriveling up. I need something from you, God. It's just, why aren't you answering me? And you just feel like you just... So, interestingly, we have experience in the mountaintop immediately followed by wilderness. And this happens for the nation of Israel. It also happened for Jesus. So before you go any further, don't always associate the wilderness experience with disobedience. Because Jesus experienced the wilderness experience as well. So here we got Mark chapter 1, verse 12. A very unusual verse that perhaps you've never really slowed down enough to see. This is stated immediately after Jesus' baptism, which is the inaugural event of his mission on earth when he's baptized before the public and then a voice from heaven booms, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that's stated as the spirit of God visually descends over Jesus. He's now, whether the people know it or not, the anointed one, the Christ The spirit is fully covering over him and he's just been embraced by God, his father, as the anointed one, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And as soon as that takes place, this is what we read next. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Now, I used to, maybe there are other verses and other translations, but the spirit led him into the wilderness. That's too soft. If somebody leads you somewhere, it's like you have a choice right? You're following. Driving is like, I don't have a choice. 
And that's part of what wilderness experiences bring to the table. It's when you feel like everything's out of control. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't choose this. I have to be here. And I don't know how long I'm here. And it's so hard. It could be that you're between jobs. And you're doing everything you can to no longer be between jobs. Resumes and resumes and resumes and applications and interviews. And nothing is coming your direction. You feel like, how long will it be? You really feel like, yes, good things are coming. But you don't know how long it's going to take. And you feel like you're in this wilderness. And then you start thinking, do I need to change my career? Do I need to go back to school? Do I need to take out a big loan and, and get changed, trained in something completely different? And you just don't know. You're drying up. You're confused. You don't know which way to go. This is wilderness. Let's say you're a single gal and you start enjoying a relationship with a guy. And it's coming along and you really kind of enjoy him. And it's coming along and along and along and along and along. And it's like, isn't he ever going to ever, ever mention anything about the possibility of where this might be going? Like, I want to get married. And now you're in the wilderness. You're totally, it's out of your control. You want it to go in the direction where it's going to be wedding, going to be marriage. And now you're thinking, am I supposed to dump this guy? Am I supposed to marry this guy? You don't know. And you're starting to dry up even in the relationship. It's like, don't know what to do. And now your relationship is in a desert. So hope I'm not talking about anybody you. Okay. Anyway, so there's that kind of thing that is, you, were, you didn't choose it. God drove you there. But I don't want us to think of it in a bad way that he's doing something mean to you because that's not it at all. And now with all that as a preliminary introduction set up, get out your pencil Here's point number one. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. So you're feeling parched. You're feeling empty. You're feeling like, when is this going to change? Okay, I have a personal one. You know, a long time ago, there was a particular pastor who was pastoring a church, and we outgrew the building, and uh, we decided to buy some property, and then we were setting up chairs and taking down chairs and meeting in a school every week, every week for nine years and nine months, but who's counting? And it was awful. People ask you, How, when, is, when are we going to get our own building? When are we going to be there? When are we going to do this? I have no idea. We're in the wilderness. And I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know where we're going to get there. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's like, I, I have this feeling like God has something good for us. Because I, I read the word and that's what's going. It's something good for us. But I don't know what it looks like yet. We've had all these ups and downs. And the deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. But it doesn't always act like a gift. So now we do have the disobedience scenario of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. It could have been a gift wandering in the wilderness to totally depend on God. Give us water. Thank you. Give us manna. Thank you. And instead, give us water. More water. We're going to go back to Egypt. Give us bread. This manna stuff is bad. And sorry. And there's just this grumbling instead of depending. The desert, the wilderness, is precisely a place where we are tested. We are trained. Temptations are there. And so we're going to jump into the 
first prototype wilderness experience in Deuteronomy. This is after 40 years of wandering. Moses, who led the people at the young age of 80, is now 120, and he writes this and says it out loud. Picture the 120-year-old voice. Remember. Okay. I won't keep going with that because I'm already losing my voice. Remember how the Lord, your God, led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble. Now he's explaining why to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. That's the purpose. Now, that never is going to have its good result if you fail the test. But if you depend on God and, and succeed in the test, you're humble. Your heart shows up that you're going to trust him enough to follow his commands. Okay? And so that's the purpose, to cause you, while you're in the wilderness, to choose. Do I trust God or not trust God? Do I follow in his ways when I don't feel like it? When I don't know what's going on? He does not answer my prayers. Can't you just do a miracle here? Come on, something. And you're in the wilderness and you don't know how long it's going to be and you don't know the answers and you're struggling. Everybody can experience that. And it's for our training. Now we're going to jump forward from that scene. We've had a lot of history. Israel has, has risen into the glory days, and now they've descended into the not-so-glory days. And we're going to jump into Elijah's life, who is bringing the Israel back to repentance before God, because they've been turning to all the false gods. And here's what we read in 1 Kings 19. Now, Elijah's this big hero, and then we come to this scene where all of a sudden he's like, what just happened? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now let me just tell you what's happened the previous three and a half years. He stands up against the wicked king Ahab who has married the wicked queen Jezebel who brings her gods into the nation, 850 prophets of Baal, and Baal worship is horrifically, horrifically detestable to God. And now it's infiltrated in all of the people of God. And Elijah is standing up to this and he proclaims that there's going to be a fast at my word. I'm not a fast, a, a drought at my word. And it's going to last until I say otherwise. And then he goes into hiding. Three and a half years later, he comes out of hiding. All the armies are trying to kill Elijah. And he's going to have a battle of the gods on Mount Carmel. Now, at the battle of the gods, I'm going to encourage you to read this on your own. So here's a sweet and condensed fast version. As we get to this portion, God wins. Surprised? All right. All right. And so that after God wins... Elijah says, all right, now I'm going to pray that it's going to rain. And, and there's a sweet condensed version. It rains. And after it rains, he says to King Ahab, you better get in your chariot because it's going to be a downpour. And then Elijah runs down the mountain. He has successfully stood against the king and his armies, 850 prophets of Baal. He's been the conqueror, the victor. He runs down. He gets there first. And then he... The message gets the wicked Queen Jezebel, who's not even on the mountain. Wicked Queen Jezebel says, tomorrow at this time, I will have you killed. One statement from a woman. Quick. She's wicked, granted, and she's evil, and she's probably going to do it. That's what Elijah thinks. And Elijah was afraid. What? For three and a half years, you're not afraid? You stand against armies and everyone, and then you stand against 850 prophets of Baal, and the whole nation is just you and God against everybody, and you're not afraid, and you win there, and now you're afraid of one woman? What just happened? That's what we're talking about here. 
Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. What just happened? But I'm really glad it happened because sometimes it happens to me. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Three and a half years of all of this. And finally, this outpouring of everything that's on the anointing of the prophet between him and everyone. He brings it to a climactic conclusion. And this is what happened. Here's Elijah. He's bodily like a shooting star. He's giving everything out. He goes, to the glory of God, and nothing's left. He has nothing left at this point. Now, I haven't given you a couple of details. He just ran 15 miles, beat a chariot the previous day, and now, if I got it correctly figured out, he ran or walked very quickly 95 more miles. And he's dead to the world. He says, I have had enough. Just take me out. I don't have anything left. Do you get that? You ever been there? You go, 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 go. I give. I'm done. I'm toast. I don't have anything left to give. That's where he's at. You ready for blank number two? Point number two. Here's the question. In the wilderness, will we learn to trust what God says? Okay? He's, if you're at that point where you have nothing left, no feelings, no confirmation that everything's okay, all of a sudden everything's not okay, and there's no emotions to carry you, no energy to carry you, here's what has to carry you, and this is the point of every wilderness, you're not doing this based on how you feel, you're not doing this based on the joy, joy, joy. <laughs> you are got to do this on something deeper, and it's going to be the trust in what God says. Now, earlier we read Deuteronomy verse 2, chapter 8. Now we're going to read the next verse, Deuteronomy chapter 2, or 8, verse 3. This is still old voice Moses. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Why? To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. When you are empty, you have no reserves, nothing innate to hold you up. You still have the word of the Lord, and he has never been unfaithful to anything he has ever spoken. Bank on it, cling to it, hang on to it, because you're in the wilderness. That's part of the test when you're in the wilderness. Hang on to the words of God. So Jesus, knowing this was the word in the wilderness for the entire nation, where they failed, he succeeds. Immediately after his baptism, he's driven into the wilderness to succeed where they fail. He is the representative Israelite to carry them into success where they failed. He fasts for 40 days. It says, and then he's hungry. Hello, four meals skipping for me is way beyond, okay? <laughs> Jesus then hungry, and Satan comes at him and turn this, these stones into bread. He quotes this 
And he says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word. I'm not going to hang on to the hunger for my decisions. I'm going to hang on to the truth which is spoken from the Lord and let that be my guide. Don't test me. Don't tempt me. Here's the truth. And this is Jesus. And this is how he handles that temptation. This is the lessons that we've got to hold on to in the wilderness. Let's get back to Elijah now. Sorry to take you here, there, everywhere about the wilderness theme, but it all comes together, and I like where Elijah has to learn. So we're picking up where we left off. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. When you are spent, when you've given your all serving the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's not going well now, and something flips that switch, and you just say, I'm done. I can't do another thing. I really can't. I'm done. The most spiritual thing you can do is hidden right here. Take a nap. (laughs) Seriously. This is the most spiritual thing you can do when you are utterly spent and the angel doesn't condemn. The angel doesn't say, what are you doing? You were such a victor. Why are you a coward now? What in the world? Why are you running away? He doesn't do any of that. He gives him precisely what he needs. Here's some food. Here's some water. Take a nap. I just love God. Let's keep reading. The angel of the Lord came back a second time. I like that too. Okay, I need second chances. (laughs) I need third chances. I need more help. The first one, more, more. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. I want to know, wow, that was some angel food cake. It's like, this angel food is something, 40 days and 40 nights after one meal. That's incredible. And he goes where? He goes to Mount Horeb, which is called the Mount of God. And it's kind of confusing to me. I'll just throw it out there the way I understand it. These are like alternative names. There's Sinai and Horeb and different ways of describing the same mountain. At Horeb was where Moses met God in the burning bush. At Sinai is where Moses met God in the giving of the law. And now, Elijah wants to go back to the starting point. Go back to the place where maybe I can meet God. In fact, it seems to be directed that direction. Go spend some time with God. And then we keep reading. Verse 11 through 12. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, this should be reminiscent of when Moses said, can I see you? Can I see you? Can Well, you can't see me directly, but hide in this cleft and I'll pass by. This is kind of the scene, only it's repeated with Elijah. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. Hello, wind? And shattered rocks. I've never seen wind like that. Wind that breaks rocks. Uh... I picture Elijah inside of a cave hanging on by his fingernails because all the rocks are, rocks are being sucked out. And his hair's going, right? Maybe you're not picturing that. Now you are. All right. And then the great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But, and then here's the point, the Lord was not in the wind. It's like, whoa, I'm here to see the Lord pass by. And that wasn't it? <laughs> what is it then? 
whoa, okay? And then we keep reading. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. So we got the wind, now we got the earthquake. Okay, you guys in Arizona, you're just not into earthquakes. All right, I grew up in California, in Japan, I know earthquakes. There is nothing more out of control feeling than when the earth underneath you begins to shake and you don't even know what to do. Whoa, it's like, oh, you don't know whether to run, hide, whatever, how long is this going to last? It's completely out of your control. He's feeling that. And then we read, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Oh, are you kidding me? So we have earth, wind, and ah, you're from the 70s. Okay. <clears throat> But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper, okay? So we had the, all these super amazing manifestations, and honestly, that's what I want when I'm in the wilderness. I want, I want a miracle here, some clarity. Give me something clear. This is from you. That's what I want, but the Lord's not there. Why not? Why isn't the Lord there? Why, why is he in the gentle whisper? So, get your pencil out. Point number three. God meets our need with a whisper. We often want a fire. We want an earthquake. We want wind that busts rocks. We want something fabulous. And God says, no, that might tickle your feelings and make you feel wowsy for a little bit. You need something different to refresh your soul. You need something deeper. You need something personal and relational to get a hold of this renewal that will get you further along and out of this wilderness. So we have this question. When we are overwhelmed by stress and overwhelmed in a wilderness experience, why does God's voice seem so quiet? We want loud. We want miracle. We want bang and show. Why is he so quiet? Here's an answer as a suggestion. He whispers because he's close. I want us to see a clip from a sermon. It is the guy that I respect I don't know him personally. His name is Craig Groeschel. This particular series is built off of his series that he did by the same name. This particular message springboards off of his message that he did. By the way, he's arguably the pastor of the largest church in America. His church, Life Church uh, in Oklahoma, is a church that gives away YouVersion Bible for free, and there's been 355 million downloads of YouVersion Bible. I would highly recommend that Bible. And here's what he had to say, and spoiler alert, get out your Kleenex. Why does God whisper? Because he's close. Because he's close. And then one day you'll discover 
that your deepest need becomes a gift. When it drives you to depend on God. Right, Jess? Yes, sir. This is my friend Jess. We met on my way into Gold's gym. I was trying to get into the gym, and Jess said, I didn't want to see you. And I smiled back and said, that's not a very nice greeting. And she said, I keep seeing you. And then she told me, I used to be a part of the church years ago, but I stopped believing in Christ. And I said to you, how many more times do you have to see me before it's a sign from God? And she said, that's enough. That's enough. And so I said, would you sit with me and my wife on the front row next Sunday? And she did. And she cried all the way through the message, just like she is today. And she signed up to serve. Some of y'all been coming for years. You haven't served. <laughs> she comes on her first day and she serves. And thank you for telling me your story that at a very low point in your life, God reached down to where you were. And now every week there's tears of joy. Yes. There's tears of joy. And the reason is, listen to me, because he's close. And what you need to hear is that God loves you. He is for you. He sent you to the gym at the right time. Yeah. Because he's reaching out to you, bringing you to himself. He has plans for you, plans to bless you, to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. You are valuable to him. He cares for you so much that he's in his son, Jesus. Now God's spirit dwells within you. God is working in your life. He has supernatural plans to use you and to bless you. He's always with you. Even when you were away from him, he was with you. Because he's always close. It's always close. It's always close. Thank you. It's always close. And so last night, um, my whole family was here together. I've told you about Mandy, my daughter, who's been sick for a while. And Mandy... Um, as I told you, was not able to stand up through worship when she'd come to church because she didn't have the energy. Last night, she stood up all the way through worship and uh, worshiped God. And I had a conversation with her during the uh, message series, When the Devil Knocks. And let's just sit down. I told her, I said, I think, um, I think that the devil is attacking your body because God's called you to do so much. And she said, Daddy, that may be true, but I actually think that God chose me for this. I was a bit taken aback by it. I said, what do you mean God chose you for this? She said, no, I believe God chose me for this. Uh, said, explain, explain this to me. She said, well, look at what has happened through my sickness. I'm ministering to thousands of people now every week through the YouTube channel, and I never would have had a voice into their lives, but now I get to speak into their lives every single week. And she said, look how close I am to Jesus now. Look how blessed my marriage is. We're so dependent on God that we have, to, we have to have his presence moment by moment, day by day. And then she looked at me and she said, 
God is gonna heal me of this and I will tell everybody about his goodness. I will tell everybody and you know I will. God chose me for this. And then I started crying like a proud dad and she started crying like my precious daughter. And she said, now don't get me wrong, I wouldn't want anybody else to go through this. And I'd never wanna go through it again, but I wouldn't change anything because of how close I am to God. Here's what I hope you'll understand. We enjoy him on the mountaintops, but we get to know him intimately in the valleys. When we're wandering in the wilderness and we feel like nobody understands, he understands and he cares. And he is always good. And if you ask Jesus into your life, he is always, always with us. Emmanuel. I want us to focus on a statement as a way of concluding today. I'd rather be in the wilderness with God than on the mountaintop without him. Maybe today you'll be encouraged to get away and carve out some space and some time and just be with God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. There are times when I cry out to God and I meet with him every day. There are times when I don't hear any particular personal whisper, but I open up the pages of his word because it's life. It's fresh bread. It refreshes my soul. It causes me to have more energy, more strength. I can go on. And occasionally, he speaks a whisper for me right now, right here. And that, (laughs) I'll run 95 miles on. Maybe that's what you need. Bread from Emmanuel, God with us. I want us to consider a prayer to finish. This prayer is written as if you're in the wilderness, and maybe you're not in the wilderness right now. But it's one that has the heart to walk with God because he's with us. Wherever we are, read this, and if it's something you'd like to declare with us, we'll give you that opportunity in a moment. stand together. Are you ready? Dear God, I need your whispered assurance that you are here with me even in the wilderness. In the wilderness, I feel alone, tired, dry, empty, and confused. But you refresh my soul with a gentle whisper. We do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from your mouth. You led me here to humble me and test me. I will trust your word and your commands. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name, Emmanuel, which means God is with us.
Yours truly. Amen. Amen? Hey, I can't wait till next week. Next week, we're going to be God with us in a storm. And then on the Sunday right before Christmas, God is with us always. So I hope you'll join us for both of those. Now, I know that sometimes you're in a wilderness and it's so deep and it's so painful, it's so hard that words, 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 words is all you heard. Well, if these are the only words you hear, there's a prayer team right here that'd love to lift that load for you. To the right of this stage, if you're in the wilderness, you don't have to explain it. Just say, I'm in the wilderness, pray for me. But if you want to give them a little bit more detail, they can pray with a little bit more detail. I invite you to that. Have a great day. I want to see you next week. God bless you.